Well, there you are. I thought we'd go uh, 20 minutes on, 10 off, and 20 on. I had a different schedule on mine. Uh, look, mister, these boys got a routine they're used to. You uh, throw a new coach with newfangled ideas at them, might get them all confused. It will ease into it real slow. Hell, our first game's less than two weeks away. Well, first of all, let's be real friendly here, okay? My name is Norm. Secondly, your coaching days are over. Look, mister, there's two kinds of dumb. A guy that gets naked and runs out in the snow and barks at the moon, and um, guy who does the same thing in my living room. First one don't matter, the second one you kind of forced to deal with. Reboot. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhood Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters. This is Ruined Childhoods, and we are comfortably circling the Midwest on our cinematic U.S. tour. We encourage you to check out our past 13 episodes covering the states in the beginning of the alphabet up through Illinois. On this episode, we're in the crossroads of America. The very first game of baseball was played here. The Jackson family of entertainers were born here, and Elvis's final performance was in this state. And it is also illegal to don a mustache in this state if you ever plan to kiss somebody. That's true. But that's not a problem for anybody in this episode's featured movie. They're all quite clean-shaven. But before we get to that, Dan, have you ever been to Indiana? I have never been to Indiana, John. Have you? Uh, I have been to Indiana. Uh, I have a friend, Jenna, who lives there. Uh, Listeners to our Space Camp episode would remember Jenna. She was the one who attended Space Camp and was able to tell us a thing or two about it. So I visited her. And I I thought it was great. It's a it's a lovely it's a lovely state. I was in Indianapolis, lovely city, and um, I don't know. I hope to go back there someday. It was it's fun. Birthplace of Kurt Vonnegut. Are you a Vonnegut fan? I am a big Vonnegut fan. I was gonna say you you strike me as a big Vonnegut fan. I don't think we've ever talked about Kurt Vonnegut. Oh, uh, we must have because we covered Back to School. And okay, that's fair. Yeah. Co-star of uh, of Back to School, Kurt Vonnegut. I can't think of any other movies he's been in, but no, I loved I love Kurt Vonnegut. In fact, uh, as as you know, of course, but perhaps our new listeners don't know, I teach English language arts uh, at a high school in the Seattle area, and I even though I don't teach any, well, I teach Harrison. I used Harrison Bergeron. And okay. uh, occasionally also the, the Vonnegut story to be are not to be. Uh, so I don't teach any Vonnegut books, but I do use when I start to do like introductions to narrative and like plot structure. I use this video that is Kurt Vonnegut talking about the shapes of stories. And it's very like early to mid 80s. Because he references how well computers can play chess, so why couldn't why couldn't you feed the shape of a story? He's basically referencing Chat GPT, 
yeah like 40 years too early talking about how you could feed a shape of a story into a machine and it would produce like a certain type of story and i use that to go through it's fun because he does the first two and uh, he talks about it in his very Vonnegut way. Right, and then the right. third one he he's describing, he's like, well, this one just breaks all the rules. And because normally we don't like to start with characters who are just really low on the on the like good to ill fortune scale. And uh-huh. he's talking about Cinderella. He builds up to it. Sure. And he talks about it in a way where he doesn't need to say it. And when when everyone in the audience gets it, he just he goes, oh, you've heard of it. <laughs> So it's a lovely introduction. And I just showed that in my class on Thursday of this okay. past week. We're recording oh, this on wow. Sunday, December 3rd. So, yeah, I just uh, just the other day showed it. And what's even funnier, what's even timelier is that as I was uh, on Thursday evening, I watched Hoosiers. Okay. And. And of course, towards the end of the film, they reference the the story of the of the Hickory basketball team making it yes. to the state championships as a Cinderella story. It's a Cinderella and part of, story. And one of the things Vonnegut says is he goes, now this shape of, of a story is he is it's the most popular in all of history. Uh, it's been remade over and over again. Uh, and people make a million dollars on it all the time. He goes, go ahead. You can you can try. And that then that's what my students do is I say, OK, where's your your million dollar idea? But yeah. And who knows? Maybe they'll have that million million dollar Cinderella story idea. I got to tell you, I have one kid who uh, kind of just like he pitched the story to me as they were starting to work it out. And I was like, I was like, that's legit. Like, that's good. That's really good. I'm like, that's Oscar contender material right there. And also and also we've talked about Cinderella stories before on our Caddyshack episode. So, of course, yes, of course. Famous, famous uh, case of uh, Cinderella story being used. I wonder, and we didn't talk about this back when we did our theme on phrases that originated from films, but the phrase, I know that the phrase Cinderella, but I wonder if the using the phrase a Cinderella story to refer to a, you know, against the odds story of success, uh-huh. as is Hoosiers, I wonder if that perhaps originated with Caddyshack. Well, Dan, if you want to... Uh... If you want to check in with, oh, I'm blanking on his name, Chris. Chris uh, Nashawadi. Nashawadi, right. I, I, uh, Chris Nashawadi, who, yes. who wrote the book on Caddyshack, who you spoke literally. to for this podcast. Very literally. Hey, if you want to check in with him and say, hey, just a quick... <laughs> Question: Do you would you happen to know? Since you're you're the one who's researched this movie more than anyone else, certainly any of us know. Uh, perhaps he would know. But also, if anybody checks out our YouTube, not YouTube, our TikTok or Instagram uh, channels, you know we we do talk about our, these you know phrases that come from movies, and I am doing uh, some more of those. We just did one the other day. Um, Geez, I'm blanking on what it what it was even about, but I'm I've been scripting out a few other ones, but talking about you know phrases that come from movies, and it's a I don't know, it's a really cool phenomenon. The you know we we covered it when we talked about Gaslight and Hall Pass and uh, the Full Monty, the, bucket list. the and Bucket List, 
Um, oh, I did one on core memories. Uh, so, Dan, I don't know if you see this at all on social media, but a lot of people like to um, post about a significant moment in their life that they've caught on camera as being like core a core memory unlocked. And that comes from the movie Inside Out, the Pixar film. And uh, it's become this big, uh, you know, social media trend to talk about these core memories. And yeah, it comes from that movie. And, uh, you know, we, I talk about it a little bit on that video that we posted on social media. But, uh, you know, a lot of them even use the theme from Inside Out, the score from Inside Out to kind of go under it. So it's a nice little tip of the hat to, to Inside Out for that, which Inside Out 2 is coming out soon. Is, I'm really excited yeah, about I was- it. I was just going to say getting a sequel. Yeah. yeah so I, I have a few other uh, videos in the pipeline, but if you f- by for any reason, see <laughs> that uh, Cinderella story is legit, you know, at least used in that way, you know, coming from Caddyshack, then uh, by all means, we should look into that. Uh, but I've got a few others in the, in the pipeline that are, that I'm pretty excited about. And one of them, I actually, uh, thought that there was a a phrase that was coined by a movie that we talked about in our last episode, Wayne's World, that actually has more interesting origins. So I go into that a little bit. Oh, very nice. Perhaps Excellent. by the time this episode is out, it will have been posted. So Dan, I wanted to circle back to, you know, Kurt Vonnegut, a beloved Indianapolis native. And, uh, you know, and I and I mentioned my friend Jenna Keenly, who was on our Space Camp episode, who lives in Indianapolis, also born and raised Indianapolis. And I wanted to know from an like a true Indianan what some movies are that are perhaps beloved uh, you know, Indiana movies to people who are in the state. And, you know, aside from Hoosiers, which we will talk about in a few minutes. I uh, she also mentioned Rudy, which of course I mean it's written and directed by the same team that did Hoosiers. So mm-hmm. uh, David uh, uh, Anspa, is that how you pronounce yeah. his last name? Anspa. Anspa. Yeah, yeah, and written by Angelo Pizzo or Pizzo. And uh, a Christmas Story is set in Indiana, but it's not filmed there, I believe. But that's one that people are pretty jazzed about. Uh, the Fault in Our Stars uh, was written by, well, the novel was written by John Green. Right. And uh, so that's another Indiana movie. And, you know, John Green is a beloved Indiana native. Uh, so as is Hank Green. And uh, but she said that the one that people are probably most proud of, which I would have never thought of, is the movie Going All the Way. Uh, because it was written by Indianapolis native Dan Wakefield, who I guess is very beloved there. Okay, going all the way, like... From 1997, with Jeremy Davies and Ben Affleck and Rose McGowan. Uh, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, um, Rachel Weiss. It's... Um, oh, and uh, and Amy Locaine, our favorite... Amy Locaine is... Yeah. Amy Locaine, our favorite... Uh, uh, female opposite to brendan fraser brendan fraser yeah <laughs> uh yeah so okay yeah this movie i remember i remember hearing about this movie or perhaps seeing it on the shelves of the the west coast I, video when i worked there i watched it earlier today because i wanted to uh be able to talk about it before you know for this for this episode and uh 
you know, it is set in Indianapolis, but I don't know how core that is to the story. I mean, they're talking about kind of being in this geographical area that is, you know, it's it's close to this place, it's close to that place, it's close to this place, it's in between here, in between there, in between there, but it's not anything itself. And of course, it takes place just after the Korean War and or as soldiers are coming home from their service for the Korean War. I don't know if it states that the Korean War is, you know, over, but, uh, you know, Jeremy Davies and Ben Affleck play these two guys who had gone to high school together. They both come back at the same time to their homes in Indianapolis or an Indianapolis suburb. And, uh, you know, Ben Affleck plays this guy who was very athletic and popular and charismatic and, uh, Jeremy Davies plays this guy who was, you know, a photographer and, you know, not very comfortable in his own skin. And it really goes into the dynamics between the two of them, especially because Ben Affleck's character, you know, takes a shine to Jeremy Davies' character and they they form this friendship. Uh, and also, uh, with a very small role as one of Ben Affleck's buddies is Nick Offerman. Okay, yeah, I was just yeah. uh, seeing that on the Wikipedia page for that film. And and what's really what's debut. really funny, I feel like uh, there's a, there's a particular Nick Offermanism, even though his character in Going All the Way is like very different from somebody like Ron Swanson on Parks and Rec. But I noticed one Nick Offermanism that he kind of takes along with his characters i noticed that in parks and rec he likes to when he's ordering something or when he's uh asking somebody for something he'll say please and thank you like you know it's like uh i'll have a whiskey neat please and thank you and he does that in going all the way as he's ordering a drink from a bar so i thought that that was pretty funny but yeah going all the way i I I think that it's really just because of Dan Wakefield who wrote the source material that it uh you know is so beloved. Right. Now is this where you segue to the film about that the little team that could that goes all the way <laughs> to the state championships? Yeah, I mean sure, let's do it. Let's get into it. I, I was going to say, if it wasn't, I was going to throw in there just a brief little, I had a chance to watch Rustin recently and highly recommend it to everyone. Rustin now streaming on Netflix. Right. Yes. Biopic about Bayard Rustin, who was the, if all of a sudden it occurs to you that, oh, yes, the I March learned on about Washington. the March on Washington, but never really yeah. learned about how it was organized, probably because Bayard Rustin, who organized it, was an out of the closet homosexual. Right. Who, yeah. And even in the civil rights movement, there's a you know great scene where he even calls this principle into question. Was was still looked looked down on and and marginalized, uh, especially within the NAACP. But also like is is credited at least by by the film to uh, that Rustin was kind of the one who introduced King to passive resistance. Yeah, uh, you know the idea of nonviolence. So, and I know that uh, it was, was his name, Domingo Coleman, I think, or uh, do I have that right? Is the, uh, the star of the film Coleman Domingo. I had it. Uh, Coleman reversed. Domingo. 
Uh, Coleman Domingo is is the star of the film and I think is on a lot of short lists for best actor this year. Deservedly so. Supported in the film by also like Jeffrey Wright, uh, CCH Pounder, uh, Chris Rock. Fantastic. Fabulous cast. Anyway, wanted to throw out that recommendation because I don't know. I know there's a flood of Oscar contenders coming out. Don't want it to get lost. Absolutely. And, you know, that is a straight to Netflix film, as is uh, May, December, which just came out. And I happen to catch that one. And that's the new Todd Haynes film. Uh, You're pointing at me. Yeah, I want to. Well, because that's it's on my list. Uh, So uh, I really liked it. I really liked it. Yeah. Uh, Natalie Portman uh, is absolutely fantastic. It is about. You know, it's it says it's loosely based on Mary Kay Letourneau, and uh, I mean, the the parallels are pretty strong. Uh, Julianne Moore, absolutely incredible. The two of them play off each other so well. Todd Haynes, of course, is just one of the greatest directors, and uh, and, and Julianne Moore is you know like his muse. Oh, absolutely, I mean, constant collaborators. And uh, yeah, so I I loved that one. That was pretty great. But I, uh, you know, and we're speaking about things that are, you know, biopics or stuff, something that's like loosely based on a story. And Hoosiers is like inspired by, yeah, it's, you know, it's not like a direct like true story. It's just inspired by an Indiana high school basketball team that went to state champions. I don't know if they did things exactly the same way as I, the, you know, Hickory. Probably. uh, I would say probably with, with a less sturdy arc. (laughs) Sure. A less convenient arc. Yeah. Shall we do it? uh, Yes. But anyway, let's talk about the team that goes all the way. (laughs) Norman Dale is the new basketball coach for the high school in the small town of Hickory, Indiana. Dale had coached college basketball over a decade earlier and spent the time in between in the military, but none of that changed the fact that Coach Dale is an outsider. For the town of Hickory, the high school basketball team is the hottest attraction, mostly due to star player Jimmy Chitwood. However, Hickory's status quo-loving citizens fear that Coach Dale's renegade tactics will ruin the team. But after a town meeting votes to dethrone Dale, Jimmy announces that he'll only play if Dale coaches. Meanwhile, fellow high school teacher Mira Fleener feels protective over Jimmy, feeling that basketball is getting in his way of academics, causing her to butt heads with Coach Dale. But through perseverance and a partnership with one of the players' fathers, Dale is able to win the hearts of Hickory's residents and basketball games throughout the state of Indiana. So, uh, I, I mean, there's so much that's going on in this movie. I mean, even just referring to... Uh, Dennis Hopper's character as, you know, a player's father is a large understatement. I mean, Academy Award nominated performance by Dennis Hopper. Um, right. Playing somebody who suffers from alcoholism and perhaps many other issues uh, who, I don't know, Norman, who's played by Gene Hackman, like, you know, he sees something in him. He, aside from just being a huge basketball, like, well, not just basketball fan, but somebody who's super knowledgeable about the basketball uh, history and uh, especially the the local basketball, the local basketball history, but also just what he's very perceptive 
uh, for right. for different things that the team could or should be doing. And uh, yeah, so uh, Coach Dale gives him chances that he, you know, otherwise wouldn't be getting and no one else really believes in. Well, and of maybe course, for a good reason. Know, I don't know. One of the, you know, most prominent themes of, of the movie is second chances. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. Right. Because Norman and, is getting a second chance and Shooter's getting a second chance. Not yeah. as Shooter's getting a second chance from his kid. From Shooter from Flash. The town. What a name. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, Dennis Hopper, it, right? Uh, wonderful in this. It, it's it's funny because I I feel like uh, when you when you see that Dennis Hopper was nominated for a 1986 performance, and it it I if you're a Blue Velvet fan, <laughs> as I automatically am, I mean, assume yeah that that's yeah. but no he was nominated even though he yeah he was he was nominated for this performance in in Hoosiers. Uh. I have some thoughts about that. I don't feel like he really deserved to be nominated for this role. That I don't know if it's controversial to say. I mean, uh, he I, himself has said he should have been nominated for Blue Velvet. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, and perhaps that was kind of like, you know, the the Academy's way of recognizing him, but maybe being a little... Uh, skittish about recognizing his performance in Blue Velvet, rather um, giving him the recognition for something more, I guess, with more prowess. You know, well, as Hoosiers is Hoosiers is. Was Blue Velvet not nominated for Best Picture that year? I I I was gonna say I don't remember, but it's like I yeah I was four during the well, Academy Awards oh, ceremony. Right. <laughs> It was nominated. David Lynch was nominated for best director. It was yep. not nominated for best picture. Okay, so yeah, it, there could have been that. That I, I've not, look. I've gone on record saying that, and I'm not saying that things are still the same way. There's different, way different leadership as there was then. But you know, the Academy Awards have uh, historically been. Uh, weird <laughs> and well, uh, yeah and you know and done some really the, strange things and yeah it's, it's yeah no no award could possibly measure something as subjective as like how the quality yeah. of of a one performance over another and just as there were like probably many good reasons to nominate dennis hopper for this role there were there there's always i feel like the biggest fan of somebody's work can always find enough reasons to recognize mm -hmm. that that person's yeah. work and and just kind of staying on the topic of this particular round of academy awards was this the year of like platoon cuz i'm yes yeah so platoon yes. did really well that year i'm trying to think of what else was like a high performer that Nine? year 1986 so that would have been i'm trying to think if that was children of a lesser god or if that's the year before that well, let's see 1997 academy award winners not 1987 97 87 uh let's see yeah platoon room with a view paul newman for the color of money oh right marley matten for children of a lesser god uh room with a view adapted screenplay uh yeah platoon oh hannah and her sisters was a big winner that year too michael kane diane weist um 
Yeah. Got it. Right. That was the one Michael Caine couldn't accept the Academy Award because he was shooting Jaws 4. An amazing, an amazing true story. I want to see Love the it. movie about that. <laughs> Don't we all? Didn't we talk about that on our Jaws episode? Oh, I'm sure we did. I'm sure we did. So, uh, yeah, I, I felt like uh, Dennis Hopper's performance in this was a little schlocky. And uh, I don't know, it just yeah, felt I mean, a little like, um, I don't know, very basic acting. You know, it's well, kind of like he read he read a, a chapter about how to act drunk, and that's what it kind of presented itself like. Well, yeah. Well, r- reportedly, he learned uh, he he borrowed from James Dean and did what he had I thought seen that, James Dean do. Okay. Well, James Dean was actually very good playing drunk. Yeah. I yeah. Thought. But like yeah. he, like Dennis Hopper, like there's the story about how Dennis Hopper did, like spun around for 30 seconds before he did the scene where he comes out onto the basketball, like in the middle of the basketball game drunk. And he said that James Dean did that on giant Dennis Hopper and James Dean yeah. were friends. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah, well, Dennis no, Hopper was it, in rebel. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and giant. Oh, he was in Giant too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, but no, Hopper, Hopper's like Hopper's not the and like don't get me wrong. I enjoyed Dennis. I enjoyed Dennis Hopper. I oh, enjoyed I love Dennis, Dennis Hopper. Hopper. Like, and we've talked about him on Easy Rider, Speed, and Speed. Yeah, we've we've yeah. done a, quite a bit of of Dennis Hopper already. Dennis Hopper is great at doing like the at being Dennis Hopper. <laughs> apocalypse totally, now yeah. classic dennis hopper uh, absolutely and like and yes he can act he's a good actor but that's uh, to me that's not like i don't wa- like i i i did i never i don't think i've ever watched a dennis hopper performance except for blue velvet actually uh-huh for for just just to be like oh how look at how immersed he is in the role blue velvet yes He's fantastic in Blue Velvet. Oof. But yeah, but the, but John, uh, Hoosiers in general is like, I'm also like the, the score got nominated. That's okay. Synthi, was that Alan like, Silvestri? Jerry Goldsmith? Jerry Goldsmith. Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah. Jer- Jerry Goldsmith. It, it is the, it is like the definition of like, it's just mid. And like, I could, that was the one term Jerry, I could think of. Yeah. Jerry Goldsmith. There, there's some of his scores that I really like. I, I feel like sometimes he's able to kind of pull it out and do something original and exciting. And this was not one of them. And uh, I congratulations on the nom, but I don't know. It was I felt like it was kind of annoying at times. I feel like the sound design yes. in this movie was a little weird. I uh, there's a lot of times when there's like slow motion video and you just hear like grunts and stuff that you know, just don't match what's going on. Uh, yeah. I don't yeah. want to just shit on Hoosiers. Oh no. Uh, I, by the way, I enjoy the movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> like I, I enjoy, I am a sucker for a good sports movie and this yeah. one, it checks all the boxes for me. It, it, it absolutely does. And, you know, being a, a you know, mid eighties, uh, sports movie, it predates, I think some of the, more famous like schlocky <laughs> sports <laughs> pulling at your heartstrings movies um, right you know one of them also being rudy <laughs> so yeah i mean rudy you know, i mean it's, it's, it's cousin. It, had, it, 
but it comes right in the middle too because also you have another famous another huge indiana movie is breaking away yeah that has to do with cycling so uh you have that in like rudy uh the aforementioned rudy so you've you've got a great history of indiana set tug at the heartstrings sports movies yeah and i think this one is and i think this one probably is a better this is probably one i'm guessing it's one that came together in the in the editing room this was a movie that gene hackman was notoriously miserable on set and it shows (laughs) Yes. And just I'm like, I mean, it helps. It it, hel- it helps his performance because yeah. he do- he wants to be in that town about and, and he grew up not far from there, I think. So but for him, it would uh, or no, he didn't grow up there. Sorry. Yeah, no, he was uh, he born in California. California. He, he grew up yeah. in California. Never mind. Never mind. I'm thinking of somebody else. Uh, but uh, no, he was. Like, I, I love his performance in it, but it's funny because he, he talks about when I was reading all this about like, oh, he would anyone who would listen, he would tell them about oh this is going to end up being his last movie and it's going to uh-huh. force everyone into retirement and everything. And I look at the other movies that he was making in the mid to late 80s. And there were a few where I just have to wonder. I hope he was like that on this set, too. So, <laughs> like, uh, Right. Did, was got, he on loose cannons, like writing his Oscar speech? Uh, yeah. Also, I'm I'm thinking like not Superman for Mississippi 4, Burning. Superman Four: The Quest yeah. for Peace was 87. Uh, yeah, Mississippi Burning is 88. Postcards well, and, from the that, Edge yeah. is 90. Uh, he, it's Unforgiven is 92. Forth. So I think that once we get into the 90s, that's when he really starts to show up a little bit more. Uh, you know, Unforgiven, The Firm, Wyatt Earp, The Quick and the Dead. The yeah. Quick and the Dead rules, by the way. Oh, uh, yeah. Great. Film. Crimson Tide, Get Shorty, Bird, The Birdcage, Bird which we just spoke about recently. Uh, Extreme Measures, Absolute Power, uh, Enemy of the State, Under Suspicion. And we haven't even gotten to the Royal Tenenbaums yet. <laughs> like, there's still no, so much more. No. And, uh, you know, and then, of course, after Tenenbaums, there's Runaway Jerry and... To a lesser extent, welcome to Mooseport. Yes, yeah, his uh, last one. But yeah, I, I perhaps I, he, I really liked. I yeah. like. I didn't see that one. I liked Runaway Jury a lot. I wonder and, if he'll do. I wonder if he'll do like a cameo in something, just like a quick show up for a day, sitting in a chair. Charlton Heston in the Planet of the Apes reboot with Tim Burton, you know, like uh, just so that maybe his last film performance won't be Welcome to Mooseport. It's too bad that his, his character of Royal Tenenbaum. But that would have been great to go out on. It's too bad you couldn't really come back to that character, like even in a like just in a background scene in a Wes Anderson <laughs> You know, yeah, like, yeah, because that, yeah, I mean, that we could easily debate his his greatest role. I don't think it's Coach Norman Dale. Perhaps the conversation. Conversation, French connection, French connection. Yeah. Lex Luthor is I don't know, maybe not his greatest role, but 
Lex, there's a special place in my heart, having grown up, especially on Superman. Oh yeah, one he's Superman two. He's your superhero villain. Yes, yeah. a- absolutely. He and Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson, who wanted to play Coach Norman Dale, apparently. Yeah. And and couldn't do it because of commitments to another. I think like Witches of Eastwick or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> uh, some some other other movie. But yeah. So, but Hoosiers is is fun. And hey, you know who else pops up in in Hoosiers? Chelsea Ross. <laughs> yeah, Chelsea Ross. Uh, Chelsea Ross is one of my favorite. Like dirt bags cinematic dirt bags he's just like you see him and you're just like oh boy what's this what's this jackass gonna say now chelsea ross yeah he plays so the great. he's kind of like the interim basketball coach until dale gets there and uh, yeah oh god you just see his smarmy looking face and you're just like oh i just want to punch it right every time then when they like cut to him sitting in the stands <laughs> Until the end. Well, In the end, he's cheering and he's happy and he's excited and he, you know, he's eaten his crow. Well, no, as soon as uh as soon as Jimmy agrees to play and he and they and you know they they start winning. Yeah, of course. No, because he's very much he's a very fair weather kind of guy. That's the you know, that's Chelsea Ross. <laughs> oh my god. That's the Chelsea he's... Ross character. Here are my favorite, I'd say, and well, not just 80s, but my favorite like on-screen dirtbags. Chelsea Ross is one of them. Uh, I will also oh. say John Getz, one of the all-time classic dirtbags. You know, uh, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, uh, oh, yeah. Men at Work. You just see him, and, and I know he's done a lot of he's done a lot of other roles uh where he's not just a you know, piece of garbage. I mean, he's he's very good in things like the social network. And, you know, he's been showing up, I think, like, you know, more recently in his career where you don't necessarily see him for the characters that he played, like, in the 80s. Uh, oh, right, yeah. He's yeah. not all, like, because he's not all, like, yuppified with, like, yeah. you know, the starched white shirt and the suspenders and the slicked back long, like, exactly. longish hair. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's well past the the point in his in his life as a character that's, you know, having affairs with people or I don't know, like behind some sort of criminal uh operation. But right. I will say also my my third and maybe the biggest dirt ba- cinematic dirtbag, but like my third favorite is uh Dylan Baker. Dylan Baker, do you know who I'm talking about? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Dylan you Baker see, from Congo. See... <laughs> was he in Congo? And the only reason why I remember this, John, is because as I was IMDBing Jerry Goldsmith, he scored Congo. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. So uh, yeah. he was in, I mean, Happiness, I think, is one where it's just like, oh, no, boy, that's this a guy... different. That's, oh, that, hold on. That, that's Dylan. Dylan Baker is Hold the on, one wait. who's in D- happiness. Is Dylan Baker's the one who's in happiness? Okay. Yes. Oh, I'm thinking of Dylan Walsh then. Uh definitely not yeah. Dylan McDermott. Dylan Baker. Oh, yeah. is- no, oh a- apologies. So Dylan Baker, whose uh cinematic debut was in Ishtar and then was in Planes, Trains and Automobiles. Uh I think that some of the ones where I feel like he's the most scummy, I mean 
Happiness, absolutely. Oh, he was nominated for a few yeah. awards for that. Like, absolute scumbag for that. Um, he is, uh, let's see, Along Came a Spider, Road to Perdition, uh, Changing Lanes. You just see him and you're just like, ooh, what a scummy guy. Um, Although I, I, I will say, actually, because now that I know who we're talking about, yeah. he, his uh, he was in the film version of the Laramie Project. Oh, okay. Which I just directed. Uh, yeah. The play. Yeah. And his character is one of them is definitely one of the more sympathetic characters in that story. He's the CEO of the hospital, and he's like, like he he he, cr- like cried uh, d- uh-huh. when he announced Matthew Shepard's death. Mm. So. Uh, yeah, but Dylan Baker, yeah, I mean, especially if you've seen Happiness, it's hard to not associate him with that role. Oh, the Americans. He was on the Americans. He played. He was on a, the Americans. A he uh, a movie that I just saw the other day, Dream Scenario, which is um, so fascinating. He's kind of just like oh, a okay. smarmy douchebag in that one. Uh, yeah. And then he also on television. He was recently in Hunters. Uh, was that on Showtime? The Al Pacino. Uh, was that Prime? It was, it was one of the streamers. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, so it I uh, you know, he plays I think he's a, a Nazi in that. Yeah. He's he's a Nazi. I was gonna say an unsavory character, but yeah, he's a Nazi. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh he's one of my also like favorite on screen dirtbags. But well him I uh, well we gotta we can't leave out William Atherton and William Zabka if we're talking about eighties. Uh, right. Or do they Absol- fit under absolutely. a different category? <laughs> Uh, I mean, definitely. Well, okay. William Atherton, who we all know and love from Ghostbusters and Die Hard. Uh, he's scummy. He's a kind of scummy dirtbag. That's for sure. I don't know if William Zabka is a dirtbag, but he is definitely a douchebag. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. Where I think I... that there's like a, there's like a fine line. Um, he's a smarmy. Is asshole. it just age? Is it do douchebags age into dirtbags? Is it is it just that like uh, the Zabka characters in the eighties are young? Well, there's an arrogant. Well, there's an arrogance to the dirtbags too. Like John Getz definitely was a. Uh, but a that's William what I'm saying. Does, type does a Zabka age into a Getz? <laughs> I don't know the the this Zabka. Is, this might not Getz be a pipeline. question we can answer. It. No, yeah. but if you have thoughts, email us ruinchildhoodspod at gmail.com. <laughs> but I want to talk about Barbara Hershey for a second. Let's. We have spent far too long not talking about Barbara Hershey <laughs> on this episode. She plays Myrna Fleener, a ridiculous name, but totally works in the context of this movie. Uh, she, uh, I don't know how I feel about, about Barbara Hershey in general. I didn't necessarily love this character. Um. It's like she, I felt like there was no chemistry between Barbara Hershey and Gene Hackman. And then suddenly out of nowhere, they go from like, you know, butting heads to smushing faces. Yeah, it's very by the numbers and very much like this is happening because it's supposed to happen in this type of movie. Yeah, it's like they don't have chemistry. But then I think to myself, who would Gene Hackman have chemistry with? And... Roy I mean, Scheider. Roy Scheider. We definitely see it uh, with Diane Weist in the birdcage to a certain extent. 
uh, Angelica Houston in the Royal Tenenbaums to a certain extent. But there's but there's the strained Gene, strained relationships. Gene Hackman doesn't have new relationship chemistry with people. He has we've been they've been married for forty years. And like it's exactly that Royal Tenenbaums and Birdcage. Like they've been married forever, and they just they like cohabitate. In the case of the Birdcage. Uh, <laughs> In the case of the Royal Tenenbaums. Uh, yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah. You know who he does have on-screen chemistry with? Ned Beatty. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. Were they in anything together other than the Superman films? The or? Superman films. That's all, that's all yeah. you need. Yeah. No, that's right. He had great chemistry with Ned Beatty. Yeah, but not romantic chemistry, um, as he's no, supposed but to have with Barbara Hershey. But No, but he does have that, like, long long time marriage chemistry he he managed he manages that it's i think that the difference is him starting a relationship it's hard to capture that him ending a relationship or uh you know being in a, a relationship that has maybe run its course that's for sure kind of his zone yeah he seems the type to play characters who would have at least one ex-wife Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, uh he definitely so, owes alimony. <laughs> yeah. Uh yes, he definitely does. Uh so anyway, I I don't know, Barbara Hershey's character, I wish that she um I don't know, I wish there was something else to her. She seems to, you know, she has a very special interest in Jimmy as a a student with promise who could potentially get out of hickory and make something of his life but on an academic basis and isn't thinking in terms of basketball scholarships the way that that norman is is kind of thinking well she's also bitter about basketball because yeah. she like it sounded like there was a bit of jealousy for her brother who is a big basketball player and uh, what happened to him? I am forgetting. And she just has basketball related trauma. That's uh, that's what there's I nothing real. There's nothing I, I like. I remember that there that there were a lot of implications, but like they never went into anything such as why she didn't because Hackman asks her why she never got married. And she, it's, uh, that part made me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> Well, uh, yes, uncomfortable, but also like framing it in the 1950s. Yeah, right. This it, movie takes place in like 51, 52. Yeah, yeah. And it it's definitely a lot more uh, understandable that someone would ask a woman of, of her character's age. And her, I don't know how old her character is supposed to be in this, maybe 30. Right, yeah. But... But like, yeah, it's a little less out of place or out of pocket uh, yeah. to uh, to make that comment. But also it's it's like uh, that was something that I I felt like I got to the end of the movie. I was like, wait a second. Did we never because it seemed, seemed like there was something going on there. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah, I, that was maybe one of the only things that it, it felt like, OK, well, you could have something could have given her character some some depth here even if it was just like that she wasn't getting married specifically to make the point that she does not need to get married to be 
happy. You know what I what I would have liked from her character, and we meet her mom, Opal, who is a very fun character. She's a she's pistol. Seen, she's she's a pistol, exactly. And it would have been nice to see a conversation just between the two of them. You know, you you kind of right. see them around each other, but never talking to each other. They live together. I think right. Yeah. 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 They, it's like they almost have a Sophia Dorothy relationship, just except for Midwestern. Sophia and Dorothy talk to each other. Well, yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. They're the Midwestern Sophia and Dorothy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're not actually going to confront anything. Yeah, so uh, I don't know. I I wish that there was more to the Myra Fleener character, and uh, yeah, it almost just seems like once the the basketball, once we like kind of get through that and it's like their tension and then they kiss and whatever and then he's like i've been wanting to do that since the moment i met you and it's like really because she was like mean to you in a hallway of a school (laughs) yeah (laughs) like you were thinking about making out with her then in the middle of passing period yeah i know it's like come on dude get with it and i (laughs) i don't know so but it seems like once their relationship kind of resolves there's still like 45 minutes of just basketball games to go oh yeah and yeah. and it's great and, and and shooter and his kind of his path it's like, to sobriety yeah. and and his son now and there were a few you know john there were a few other things that i felt were missing and i was just kind of curious like did you pick up on on this that or the other thing so there was that other dad like mr butcher and he's He's the one who, like, his kid went at the first practice when, like, one of the kids walks yes. out and, and then, like, yeah. the other kid goes with him. And this guy, like, Mr. Butcher brings brings the kid back and is, like, you know, makes him, like, does the right thing. He's the first one that stands up for Coach Dale. And it 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 felt like it's like all right so why is this one guy who to- who seems like he's one of these one of the townsmen right he's just like one of those guys why is it that this guy is cool and I don't know. and the rest of them and even in and even when this guy is like you know all right coach doesn't want you in here you best be gone yeah and they're still not like all right well if butcher's going to be cool with him it was confusing it's like where okay then how does this guy fit into things how come we don't see him involved more throughout this? But he's and he's always there, though. He's like the yeah. other assistant coach all of a sudden. Yeah. It, coming in all the. OK, there was okay. Hoosiers is, as you said, it's one of those like feel good sports movies. But I just don't think it's very good. I don't think that as a movie, it is just very well constructed. There are things that don't make sense. There are things that are missing. And the one time where I was like, oh, was when uh, right before the final game, he, you know, they're all huddled up and he goes, I love you guys. And then they ruined it by that shot at the end (laughs) where it's like you they're inside. You're inside of the high school gym and there's like a little kid shooting baskets. And it's kind of like pushing in on the the photo, the team photo. And you just hear some like clips from the mo- audio clips from the movie. And one of them is the I love you guys. And it's like, oh, you ruined that perfect moment by like, like by being like, eh, remember when he said this? Eh? Yeah, know. that that yeah. annoyed me. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, they it, they didn't have to do that. But I'll tell you what, I felt it when he first said it to those guys. I really felt it. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know, I, I, I did like how he spoke to those guys. Once they got into their groove, he spoke to them with a lot of respect. I mean, like, the team, you know, the, yeah. the kids on the team. Like, he really, you know, once they kind of fell in line with what he was doing, they really started to, you know gel all like the as a, a whole unit uh i felt like dale was i don't know i i couldn't see how he was actually a good coach he was hard on them and he was doing things in a very militaristic way but i don't understand why they started to do better because of him because i what? didn't see Yes, they played more cohesively as a team just because he kind of made them do that. But it's like, what did he really do? Well, he you just said it. He made them play more cohesively yeah, as a team. But, right. but like the, the whole four passes before shooting. So like this is something that's something where I can actually point to something in the movie and say, OK, this is I and I can understand it. it and, and look, neither one of us is a basketball player. Yeah. So I. You know, with a grain of salt, but that's at least one thing that I can I can look at it and say, okay, he forced them to not like try to shoot and not always go for the basket. And he tried he instilled that rule of that four passes, which is probably nothing scientific, but it's enough to say, okay, now I'm used to passing the ball around and working with my teammates as a team as like one unit that takes up the whole court versus like seven individuals. Yes, I I understand that. But what I am missing from his coaching and from this movie is a connection to him as a person, him as somebody who has had these past experiences and why oh. the coaching that he does makes sense for him because we we get the we get the idea that he has a checkered past, which I never felt like that was very, made very clear. All we, we have are, no idea. We are we told no, he, he has a checkered a player. past. He punched one of his players. We have no idea why. I, yeah, we have. That's we have. I would not call that a no checkered past. Why. I wouldn't call it a checkered past. I'd say you know he uh, he stepped over the line once, and it's kind of like damaged you know his the public perception of him, but he's. That was a long time ago. And but again, that, yeah. something else that they don't explain, that they have opportunities and could explain that and give the character some depth and yeah. illuminate us. But all we're told is he punched one of his players. Yeah. Right. I I wish that we would have had more of an opportunity to understand from his past experience why he's instilling them with these, you know, coming together as a team instructions. It's just like, oh, this is a tactic, but why does it need to come from him? What makes him so special? Why do we need to be on his side? Because he is the main character of this movie. And aside from just being told, this is the main character. He is the person you're seeing come to this town where people don't really care for him so much upon arrival. It's like we're not given any concrete reason to be on his side. And honestly, I wasn't really on his side. I, I don't know. I, I really felt like, couldn't they have found 
literally anybody else and that maybe had some experience to help this team get better. Why him? Because he's old buddies with the one dude who works there. I don't know. Isn't he the principal? The principal. Sure. Yeah, I don't know. This was your first time seeing it, right? It was, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Was it yours? Um no. Okay. I I mean it was like my second time seeing it, so it's not like I've seen I, it a ton of times. It's I not watched my it movie in the world, but I watched it twice because I was so bored the first time watching it and I was like after that I was like, did I just miss a whole bunch? Was there just things happening that I just didn't pick up on because I was like tuning out? And then I watched it again and I was like, nope, it's all there. It's just it's just not exciting. And uh, I feel bad saying that because like I know that for a lot of people, this is a beloved sports classic. And uh, there's just something about the the action of it that feels very sleepy to me. Uh I don't particular. I mean, Jimmy is a nice guy. I guess he seems fine. The short guy is pretty cool, uh, but we—I don't know. I feel like we don't really get to know anybody really. I think we get to the ones who we get to know the best are Strap, like the son of the the yeah. minister. Yes, who paints mm-hmm. the because we know about painting the bus and that he. It was praying before it really prays before every game and yeah. thinks everything is and he's got that in his there's just that innocence of oh because god told him to paint it god told him well to yeah the bus. It, yep yeah and also uh when when uh dale says god wants you to be on the court you know and yes. he's like praying a little too long and he's yes. he looks at him and he's just like all right here we go yeah, I don't know. He's kind of uh he's he's okay. I don't know. I I still feel like he's, there's so much missing. He's got something that makes him stand out. Like he's just like the eternal optimist. And same thing yeah. with, with Shooter's kid. I forget his name. I don't know if we're right. told his name. Uh let's see if I can find it on this thing. Yeah, I don't know. He also looked I mean, oh, Everett. Uh, played by David Niedorf. And another problem that I had, with with the exception of the one who's shorter, and Mm -hmm. I feel like uh, Everett Flatch, I could not tell the difference between a lot of these players because they all looked so much alike. I felt like Everett looked a little different, just like he wasn't as kind of like sharp looking, I guess. Uh, so I don't know. He was a little bit more noticeable, but everybody else, including Jimmy, all just looked alike to me. And I get that, like, you know, in the early fifties, you had the one hairstyle and that was it. And, and I guess uh, everybody farm there is boys. Indiana farm boys. They, uh, they come in the same color patterns, which is white on white and, um, yeah, d- yeah dark hair, white, white skin. And, uh, yeah, they all, they all just kind of blended together for me. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I I feel like because this is a movie that like has a you know the framework is all there. It's got it's got good bones. And I so, guess I I'm I guess I'm trying to think like how many basketball movies are there 
really out there. I mean, okay, all right. So white men can't jump. Semi pro basketball. Semi pro basketball. How many basketball movies predate Hoosiers, though? Oh, that is a good question. I think you started seeing a lot more basketball movies in the nineties, like Blue Chips. Absolutely, yeah. Sixth Man. Yeah. Uh, right. Uh, Above the Rim. The air up there, Kevin Bacon. The air up there, right. <laughs> Juana Man. Juana Man, yeah. Uh, like Mike. Like Mike, for sure. Uh, Celtic Pride, if you want to count that mm-hmm. one. <laughs> I, I, get, I don't know how much basketball there is in that movie, and I'll never find out. Finding so. Forrester. Oh, that's a basketball. Uh, that's kind of a basketball movie. Oh, you know what? Teen Wolf. You're all the man now, dog. Oh, You're yeah, Teen Wolf. Teen Wolf is Teen a... Wolf. Uh, Predates yeah. Hoosiers. Teen and... Wolf is the the original basketball movie, <laughs> and then uh, and then of course later on we get basketball, which I suppose is uh, a, a cousin. It's its own it's its own special thing. Yeah, is basketball. Yes, uh, but yeah I, yeah, I mean Teen Wolf. Teen Wolf is about a teen who's a werewolf. It's less about basketball, and but I guess you know Hoosiers is about a guy with a checkered past. Do we consider Teen Wolf 2 a boxing movie? <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. I, I feel like there might be more basketball in Teen Wolf than there is boxing in Teen Wolf 2, but I'm also not going to be able to tell you that for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the basketball scenes in Teen Wolf are pretty memorable. I'd say maybe more memorable than uh, the basketball scenes in Hoosiers. Not to say they're not memorable, because there are some things that happen that I'm sure for for basketball fans stand out. Well, yeah, maybe I don't know. Maybe if Mark Holton was playing one of the Hoosiers team members, it would have stood out more. Mark Holton, maybe. Look him up if you don't know who I'm talking about. Yeah, yes, it's exactly who I'm thinking of. <laughs> it's uh, Francis from Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Francis from Pee-wee's or Big what, Adventure. Whatever absolutely. his character's name is in Teen Wolf. Or or the guy who says it's Enrico Palazzo in the Naked Gun. That's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Everybody's favorite baseball movie, of course. Of course. Yeah. yeah. It's a baseball movie. <laughs> right. It's got Reggie so, Jackson in it. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, uh, I mean, athletes all over the place. You even have that star athlete O.J. Simpson, who's done nothing else aside from uh, being a football player and actor. Absolutely. Yes. That is what he is known for. So, so anyway, Dan Hoosiers, Hoosiers. What would you do with Hoosiers these days? I'd I'd call my man Jason Kadams or Kadams or however. okay. I I apologize for not knowing how you pronounce his name, but the the master of 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 turning especially You'd Friday Night Lights films. it. I well, but you know what? Like, yes, it's set in the fifties. I definitely would would love you know keep that fifties setting. And just like, yeah, the like basketball in a in a small farm town in the 1950s. And how much does that town, you know, live and die by the fortunes of the high school basketball team? Yeah. And I think that's that is the showrunner who I feel like this is his wheelhouse and I don't think this needs 
I don't think a Hoosier, I think a, a Hoosiers TV series uh, would be, would be lovely. Of course, there's so many series on so many different streaming services and right. I, like I could easily see this popping up on Peacock and, you know, going for a season and then vanishing as so many more have before it. So it feels like a little less meaningful than, let's say, even when Friday Night Lights was adapted into a series, because now it just feels like. Like there's there's room for everyone, which I don't know, makes them all less special. I feel like a Hoosiers TV series 20 years ago would have been, you know, news. And yeah. Yeah. I, I see what you're there saying. There could be one on. All right. I'm like, I'm not saying I would watch it per se, but I also think like, okay, well this would be a fine series that people would watch and people like basketball and it, it could work fine i don't know what else you do who's yours the musical just isn't quite singing to me so to well speak. so dan i am i uh, just doing a quick search about hoosiers remake uh first of all there was a short in in uh, 2005 called hoosiers 2 senior year and it's the son of normandale played by the late matthew perry pour one out pour one out uh, also, I'm seeing uh, a couple years ago, uh, Angelo Pizzo, who wrote the film, uh, this is talking about a a new version, which I think means adding in deleted scenes. So I guess like they, there's a version with added in deleted scenes that he thinks is better than the original. So well, that would make sense. So <laughs> I wouldn't. If they were the added scenes we've been talking about. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't mind seeing that. Uh, I also see an article that's saying that uh, David Harbour uh, of Stranger Things and, uh, you know, he he's fan- I, I like him a lot. I don't know what, what your thoughts are on David Harbour, but he wants to remake yeah. Hoosiers. Yes. So I like yeah. uh, he wants to be Coach Dale. I could see. Yeah. That. So uh, he is in this movie. Do you know anything about the Gran Turismo movie, Dan? I know that it. I don't know much about it. I just know that it is based on some form of reality. Yeah. So the the Gran Turismo movie is based on... So there's the video game Gran Turismo. And there was some sort of competition where the winner of this... Because it's a racing game. The winner then gets to actually race a car in a an official race. Something like that. And uh, yeah, so it's 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 pretty out there. So I guess he was saying that he drew his inspiration from Gene Hackman's performance in Hoosiers. Uh, And let's see. What he says is Gran Turismo is a very, very moving in the way that those sports wish fulfillment underdog stories are. And I've always loved Hoosiers ever since I was a kid. And I've been. And I have been. I would love to make my version of that Gene Hackman's Hoosiers. So I guess it's more saying that he just draws his inspiration from Normandale. And that if if someone called him with an offer to play Normandale or a oh. Normandale like character, he would yeah. he would listen. I and I I suppose that would be I, I wouldn't mind that. I mean, I think that he's great. Uh, he's very charismatic. 
Um, I'm looking at this thing from 2010 called the Hoosiers remake remake falls short. Where was Jimmy Chitwood when we needed him? And David did not smite Goliath, but they gave him a hell of a scare. The rest of us, a great game. Uh, let's see. I guess oh, I think that this is talking about a particular NCAA men's basketball game that people were calling Hoosiers to the remake. I'm assuming uh. it is a uh, a smaller school that came from nowhere. So I will also mention, Dan, we have talked before on this podcast about the fictitious athlete hall of fame. And uh, oh, yes. I think it was 2001, 2021, sorry, 2021, uh, Jimmy Chitwood was inducted. Um, let me see if deservedly Hoosiers... so. Yeah. And then uh, the contributor for that year was Norman Dale. Um, I guess, you know, cause they have three different sections, athletes, contributors, and veterans. So, right. so there we, there we have that. Yeah. I think that for me, um, I, I wouldn't mind seeing a remake and just kind of giving the elements that didn't, that kind of got things muddied a little bit, maybe giving those a little bit of a boost. And I think that maybe removing the character of shooter might make it a little bit cleaner and provided a better pathway and really make Gene, the the Gene Hackman character, make the Gene Hackman character, the person with the flaws that we want to give a second chance to. Cause here we have, it's like, Oh yeah, you know, I deserve a second chance, but you know, who needs a second chance even more is this guy. And uh, I'd rather just keep it, you know, straightforward, keep it tidy and make it just the Normandale character. Yeah, that that certainly makes sense. And also, if you take some of those aspects of Shooter and transfer them over to the Normandale character, that could also help provide some more uh, answers and flesh out that character. I mean, maybe he is overcoming an addiction problem. Yeah. I, don't I mean, know. or just, I mean, even just like anger issues, especially yeah. if you're setting this in the 1950s, it, 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 it's not like we've got, you know, it's not like, oh, well, th- your insurance should pay for therapy for you. Yeah. You know, I, I think that my biggest issue with the movie, though, is that uh, Norman Dale, he didn't communicate with anybody. He wasn't clear with anybody. People would say their feelings to him and he just wouldn't respond and it's like all you have to say is x y and z and maybe things can get a little bit better and if he like let's say the the league of older hickory gentlemen uh who wanted (laughs) want him like thrown out upon first sight if he says to them like okay i understand that this means a lot to you guys And all I'm asking is that you give this a chance. It's going to seem a little different, but I have an idea for a a better pathway that could take the, you know, and if it works, it can take these guys to state. If it doesn't work, I will leave town, you know, my, my head in my hands weeping (laughs) And, and that's it. You know, like, I, we we didn't get that he didn't communicate with anybody and you know it's 1951 and he's a closed off guy with a checkered he's, past as they say yeah i mean just being a 
like yeah if you're a man in 1951 you you were not expected to you know share your the your feelings but it's not even feelings it's not even feelings it's just like an understanding of just like a yeah i see where you're coming from like i i understand why you're upset i would be too well or if the character is not going to behave that that way let us know why at some point let us know why you don't have to feed it to us right away in the beginning that's fine for let's foreshadow drop some hints but give it to us at some point let us know okay why is this guy not maybe putting his best foot forward as he's coming into this new place and he's the outsider and it's kind of exactly yeah yeah i get it well dan there's something that i want you to let me know and i guess our listeners what are we covering for our iowa episode of the podcast I owe an answer to that question. And that... <laughs> so, uh, we're going to be covering a... an obs- This is kind of an obscure one, which is surprising considering the names who are attached to this movie, but it's from 1971. It's called Cold Turkey. It's written and directed by Norman Lear of mm-hmm. All in the Family and the yeah. Jeffersons and One Day at a Time. Uh, I mean, just comedy legend. Yeah. Starring Dick Van Dyke. Two legends. DVD himself. And uh, Bob Newhart is is Another TV well. legend. And Gene Stapleton. Uh, Another Edith TV Bunker. legend. Yes. Yes. So uh, I don't think a, I've ever it, seen Gene Stapleton in something other than All in the Family. So interestingly enough, the only other movie I can remember seeing her in is another movie that is set in Iowa. Really? Michael from 1990. That was like set in Iowa? Seven, nine, 96 or 97 where John Travolta's and Archangel. Yeah. And I'm I'm yeah, because I think when I was doing when I was researching movies that take place in Iowa, that one came up and I just thought about it briefly and okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Jean Jean Stapleton is is in that, and she is in this movie, Cold Turkey from 1971. I'm stoked to check it out. I believe it's on Prime, if I'm not mistaken. It is streaming on currently streaming on Prime. Yeah, yeah, you can watch that and Hunters all in the same app, as we've established. What a wonderful world we live in. <laughs> well, Dan, as you are traveling on the church bus to your next big game, I wish you a good journey. Good journey. <laughs>